This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, please open in them to the book of Judges, the book of Judges. If you need a Bible, you can go ahead and shoot your hand up in the air. We'd be happy to get you a copy of the Bible today. And if you're new with us, we're in a series in the book of Judges, because this is what we typically do as a church. We pick a book of the Bible and kind of go through it systematically, section by section. And we find ourselves in Judges chapter 7 today. And as we've been in this book, we keep seeing the cycle repeat itself over and over again. The cycle is that the people of God rebel against God. They chase after other things other than the one true God. And as a result, they find themselves in a lot of trouble. They usually find themselves in trouble, usually find themselves being oppressed by their enemies. And so they cry out and they ask God for help. And then God sends these judges who are not people with a gavel and black gowns, but actually are rescuers. God sends these judges to save them from their enemies. And the judges save God's people from their enemies. They get delivered. And then they just go right back to their sinful ways. And the cycle repeats itself again. And so really, the whole point of this book that we're seeing week after week is that we need a better judge. We need a better savior. We need one who can truly break the cycle of sin in our lives. And that one is come, and his name is Jesus. And so Judges is really putting, pointing us forward to the great judge, Jesus Christ. And as you make your way to Judges chapter 7 this morning, we're going to be in verses 1 through 23. And as you turn there, I just wonder, have you ever felt like there's something that God wants you to do, but it just seems too hard to do it? There's something that you feel like God is calling you into, but when you think about that, you just feel overwhelmed by it. Maybe there's a sense of calling that God's put in your heart. And man, God wants, I know he wants me to do this, but I don't know if I can take that risk. Or I don't know where to get started. Or I don't feel like I am qualified. Maybe there's a step of obedience that you know God wants you to take. Like maybe there's a conversation you know you need to have. God wants you to speak up, but just feels like too much. And so you stay silent. If you're a parent, maybe there's an issue going on in your kid's life. Or if you're married, maybe there's an issue going on in your marriage and you know you need to press into it. But when you get home, you're just tired. And you don't feel like dealing with it. It just feels like too much, and so you'd rather just keep the peace. Maybe you felt compelled that you need to start sharing about your faith in Jesus more. Maybe you felt compelled that, man, I've actually never invited someone to church. I should probably do that. And yet it feels like a really big faith to, to step out there and put yourself out there like that. Maybe there are ways that you know that God wants you to step up and serve in the church, maybe you know that, hey, yeah, it's not good just to be a spectator in the stands. Like, I should probably actually start contributing some of my time to what's happening in this community, but that would require me to step outside of my comfort zone, and I'd just rather not do that. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you know you need help with. You know that, man, I, I can't do this by myself. I should open up about this struggle with a godly friend or a pastor, and I should get some help, but it just feels way too scary to do so. Just think about this question. What is it in your life where you feel like I probably should, but it's just too much? 
I probably should, but it's just too much. I want you to write down, actually, if you're taking notes, write down what comes to your mind when you think about that. Or if you're not taking notes, you can take out your phone and do that. Just don't check your fancy football team and get distracted. Um, or just think about it. Just think about it. What, what can feel overwhelming to you? What can feel overwhelming to you when it comes to following God? This morning, we're going to pick up in this story of Gideon that we started last week in chapter 6. And we're going to see God telling him to do something that is way too much for him to do. We're going to see that Gideon is completely overwhelmed. And yet, God meets him in that place. And he does a powerful work in him, and then does a powerful work through him. And so I would tell you this morning's sermon, it's just too much. It's just too much. With a subtitle, I love subtitles. With a subtitle, how the all-powerful God meets us in our overwhelming lives. I think that's what God wants to do today. I think the all-powerful God wants to meet us in our overwhelming lives. Let's read together in Judges chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. This is a lengthy section of Scripture, yet God's Word is good. And so this is actually the most important part of the preaching moment because we're about to hear God speak to us through what He inspired the writer of Judges to put down on paper. Let's read Judges chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Harad. And the camp of Midian was north of them, but the hill of Morah, by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who laughed, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who laughed, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go, every man, into his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he set all the rest of Israel, every man, to his tent, where retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pure, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Malachites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. Behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. 
And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpet also on every side of the camp and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in the left hands the torches and the right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp. And all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shaddai towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Menelah by Tabith. And the men of Israel were caught out from Nephali and from Asher and from Nasa, and they pursued after Midian. May God bless the reading and now the preaching of his word. I want to encourage you to bow your head and have a time of prayer between you and God, just asking God to speak to you through what you're about to hear preached. And now would you please pray also for me, that I be empowered by God to speak in a way that is helpful to you, faithful to his word, and glorifying to him. God, we are here to hear from you. Would you give us eyes to see what you want us to see? Would you give us hearts to receive what you want to give? We pray, Lord God, that today, whether it is through coming to faith in Jesus for the first time or having our faith strengthened, that you would do a work in us, that you would meet us as we are, but you would not leave us as we are. We praise for the grace, through the grace of Jesus and for the glory of your name. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. If we want to experience the all-powerful God moving in our overwhelming lives, then I think this story has four things that can help us. First, if we want to see the all-powerful God moving in our overwhelming lives, first, we need to embrace dependency. We need to embrace dependency. God is, Gideon is called by God to go fight the Midianites who have been oppressing the people of Israel. And verse 12 tells us that the number of the Midianites was so vast they could not be counted. We're going to read next week in chapter 8 that, you know, this is probably around 132,000 soldiers. And that's actually a low estimate. Most scholars think it was at least three, if not four times more than that. Gideon's army, if we're paying attention, he had 22,000 go home, 10,000 stay. So that means there's a total of 32,000 to start. And so at the start, Gideon's army is outnumbered by at least 132,000 32,000. That, that's four to one. Talk about an overwhelming situation. And think about it. This is life 
or death. I mean, if they go into this battle and they lose the battle, like they're all going to die. They're all going to be taken out. You know, we can be scared of the steps that God wants us to take. But here, Gideon is being called to risk his very life. This is an overwhelming situation. And yet, instead of God sending more help to Gideon's way, God's like, before you go into battle, there's some work that I need to do. God starts to whittle down the army that was already far too small to fight this battle. God says, you've got too many people. And look at why he says you've got too many people. This is what he says in verse 2. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand. See, according to this, we can't have too little for God to work, but we can have too much. We can't have too little, but we can have too much. See, Gideon did not feel like he had enough. Being outnumbered four to one is really dangerous. Gideon would have been happy to have more, but God's like, that number's still too close. And you'll never know it was me who actually delivered you. I mean, maybe a really skilled army can defeat a larger one, even if they are outnumbered four to one. So God says, let's get this number down. And he tells Gideon, hey, say to everyone who wants to leave, like if you're scared, you can go home. And Gideon obeys. He's like, all right, if you're scared, like feel free to leave. And that's when 22,000 out of the 32,000 leave. So he loses more than two-thirds of his army. So now the odds are changed to 13 to 1. And I don't care how strong someone is, no one's going up against 13 people by themselves and winning that fight. I mean, even the great Bruce Lee only ever fought 10 people at one time. I looked it up. And uh, that's the, the largest recorded fight at once. And he only, he only bought 10 people once. I guess that one extra person would have taken him out, you know? Like, it's just, too, it's just too much. And so at this point, Gideon doesn't stand a chance. But God's like, there's still too many. And so he gives them this drinking test to get that number down even more. Now, if you had to go drink out of a stream, how would you do it? I spent some time backpacking before, and I've had to drink out of fresh water streams. And how you do it is you just, we just kneel down, you get some water in your hand, and you drink it. Or if you have like a cup with you, like a, a you know, canteen, you fill up your canteen, and then you drink it, right? You kneel down to drink. And that's what 9,700 of these 10,000 people do. Most of them drink like normal, rational, sane human beings. But then there are these 300. And they get down on their bellies, and we're told they lap it up like they're dogs. Right? This text is meant to show us this. These are not the best and the brightest. This is not God saying, hey, I want the elite soldiers. Like, let's put them through some Navy SEAL training. Let's get the guys that are really tough, and I'm going to be able to do with a few more than I could do with these many. No, God's like, hey, all these guys who are losers and weirdos, all these guys who failed out of boot camp, that's who I'm going to make up as part of your army. And so only 300 are left. If I'm doing my math right, which is never a guarantee, but I did check this in advance. If I'm doing my math right, the odds of 132 to 300 is 440 to 1. God is purposely putting Gideon in a situation where all Gideon can do is trust the Lord to bring victory. What we are seeing here is that God was committed to Gideon knowing that all he had was God. 
You see, God loves us so much that he wants us to live in the reality that we are completely dependent on him. God loves us so much that he wants us to live in the reality that we're completely dependent on him for two reasons. One, until we realize that God is enough, we will never feel like we have enough. Until we realize that God is enough, we will never feel like we have enough. Listen, if you're here and you're waiting for more, you feel like you need more relational capital with someone before you invite them out to church, or you feel like you need more education before you share your faith, or you feel like you need more finances before you start living generously. Or you feel like you need more strength before you start dealing with that sin in your life. If you feel like, man, I know that's good, something God wants me to do, but I just feel like I need more, then listen, if you feel like you'll need more, you'll always have an excuse to not do what God says. Because there's always more you could have. There's always more you can have. And so if you're waiting for more, you'll always be waiting to do what God wants you to do. We'll always feel like we need more until we realize that God is enough. Until we realize that God is enough. Listen, you don't need more than you already have in order to obey what God's told you to do. You do not need anything more than what you already have in order to obey what God has told you to do. Actually, what you might need is less. It might not be more that you need. It might actually be less that you need. What you need is less reliance on whatever it is that you're relying on that isn't him. Wherever it is that you feel like, okay, I need more of that before I do this, God's like, no, you need less of that and you need more of me. See, God loves us so much that he knows we'll be paralyzed from moving forward into the purposes he has for us and we think we need more. And so he wants us to become in this place of dependency on him because it's only when we're dependent on him that we're actually positioned to be used by him. Also, God loves us. And he knows that few things hurt our relationship with him more than our pride. Our pride separates us from God because it leads us to think that we can live without God. When a telemarketer calls, we see that call as what? An interruption. A nuisance. Because we don't need whatever it is that they're selling. Like if I need it, I would go out and buy it or I would order it on Amazon, Right? Like, I don't need someone to call me and tell me to buy something that, you know, I wasn't looking for in the first place. And so, you know, a telemarketer comes trying to sell you something you don't need, and so it's seen as an interruption. No offense, if anyone's a telemarketer, we love you. Um, but uh, you might want to look into a different profession. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's a tough job. I had to do outside sales for a while. I know it's a tough job to sell things to people that they don't, they don't need. Um, but how different a call it is when our doctor calls us and we know that they have the lab results we've been waiting for and a treatment plan to help us get better, that's a call that we take no matter what meeting we are in, right? Like we're never, we're never you know, putting that call on mute. No, we always take the doctor's call. Why? Because we need what they have. And so friends, the best thing that God can give us is to show us how much we need him. Best thing God can give us is to show us that when he comes into our lives, it's not meant to be seen as an interruption. It's not meant to be interpreted as a nuisance. No, he is giving us the greatest need that we have. And the greatest need that we have is to see more of the greatness of God. And so God wants us to know the need that we have for him so that we stay close to him. So when you're in a situation where you feel completely overwhelmed, friends, don't run from that. Embrace that. 
If you feel in over your head, if you feel like it's just too much, if you feel like, man, I just can't, good, now you're ready to maybe meet with the Lord. Don't run from your need. Don't hide your need. Don't wait until you feel strong. Don't wait until you feel ready. Don't wait for other things to be that you can rely on. No, embrace your dependency on the Lord. Second, rest in God's assurance. Rest in God's assurance. God strips away everything from Gideon that Gideon could have placed confidence in. And he makes Gideon completely aware of his dependency on the Lord. But God doesn't leave Gideon there just feeling vulnerable and overwhelmed. No, he says, Gideon, if you're still afraid, go take a walk. And Gideon's still afraid. So he goes and he takes a walk. And he says, walk down to the camp and see what they're saying. So Gideon takes a walk down into the enemy's camp. He sneaks in, him and his servant. And as he starts walking around, he just happens to hear two of the enemy's soldiers talking. Verses 13 and 14 say they're talking about this dream that one of them had. One of them has this dream about a loaf of bread that rolls down the hill and takes out their camp. And his friend's like, well, that can obviously only mean one thing. (laughs) Uh, Like that loaf obviously is Gideon and we're all going to die. Now, I'm not exactly sure how he got from loaf of bread to we're all going to die. This guy must, I don't know, been gluten free or something. But like, I don't know what's happening. But for some reason, like he's freaked out by this loaf of bread. This means that we're all going to die. But actually, look at the specific phrasing he says. I think this is amazing. He says, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. This soldier, this pagan soldier, who is not from Israel, he's speaking about the God of Israel, and he's like, man, that God's going to use Gideon to beat us. Here's what we're meant to see. God is so great that he can use people who don't even believe in him to testify about him. Before God sent Gideon to battle, he wanted to assure Gideon that he was going with him. Listen, friends, we need to understand that whatever God calls us into, if God's the one calling us into it, whatever God calls us into, he goes with us into. Whatever God calls us into, he goes with us into. We are never alone. And so God wants us to live in dependency on him and with the assurance that we have him. He is with us and he will take care of us. And while we don't have a dream being told to us about a loaf of bread to assure us of the faith we can have in the Lord, friends, we have something much more sure. We have Jesus Christ who said he is the bread of life. Jesus came to earth and put on human flesh fully God, and fully man. He became one of us so that he could take the place of us on the cross. Because our sins, our wrongs, they had created a barrier between us and God. God could not be with us because God is perfect. And so he can't be with people who aren't perfect because then he would dilute himself. He would bring a stain upon himself. But such is God's great love for us that he could not settle for there being a barrier between us, but he came to break that barrier down. He could not do it by just turning a blind eye to our wrongs because that would be unjust. It's evil to close your eyes to evil. And God is too much of a God to do such an evil. But he is so much of a God that he made a way for both his justice to be satisfied and his mercy to be expressed. 
And so Jesus came, and because he is a man, he was able to step in the place of humanity and represent us on the cross, taking the just punishment of God for our sins. But since Jesus is also God, there was more life in him than there is sin in us. And so after having paid for our sin, he came back to life three days later to show that he had earned our salvation and that now there is mercy in him for anyone who would put their faith in him. When you put your faith in Jesus, his death gets applied against your debt of death and his righteous, perfect, resurrected life clothes you so that when God sees you, he sees you in the perfection of Jesus. Not because you are perfect, but because you are now joined by faith to the one who is. And so Jesus Christ is God's assurance that he is with us. Jesus Christ is God's assurance that he is so committed to being with us that not even our sin could keep him from us. And so when you feel completely overwhelmed, we should embrace that dependency. And then we should rest in the sufficiency of Jesus and God's promise in Jesus that he is always with us. Or in other words, we need to embrace our need for Jesus and then rest in the fact that we have Jesus. We need to embrace our need for Jesus and then rest in the fact that we have Jesus. But as I speak this, I speak this with the realization that probably not everyone in this room, certainly not everyone who's going to listen to this online, does have Jesus. I'm sure there are people here who have not yet fully given your life to Christ. You are not yet a follower of Jesus. You have not yet put your trust in him. Now I just pray that you would feel God speaking to you today. Pray you would feel God's heart of love for you today. I hope that you hear this as an invitation from the Lord to put your faith in him. Today can be the day where you stop walking alone. Today can be the day where you can know that God is with you. And how that happens is not by you trying to clean yourself up and get better and be better and try harder. How that happens is not by you learning to, well, I just got to get really back in church and I got to start praying again and, and read my scriptures again and practice my sacraments again. And I got to do all these things again. No, no, no. We don't clean ourselves up to get to God. You don't wash before you take a shower. You come into the shower to get cleansed. But you come into the shower recognizing that you have a need to be cleansed. And so here's how you come to faith in Christ. First, you admit that you need Christ. You admit that you need Christ. You admit that you're a sinner who deserves God's judgment. You come to reality. You stop running from the wrongs you've done, but actually confess them to the Lord and admit them. You say, yes, I'm a sinner. But then you also say, Jesus, I believe you're my Savior. You see, Jesus will be our Savior if we first confess ourselves as sinners. When we confess our sins to the Lord, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But the first step we have to take is confession. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says, Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus shall be saved. And so what do we do? We call on the name of Jesus because we realize that we need Jesus. I can't Jesus, but I need you to do what I cannot do for myself. And so I just pray that there would be people listening today that would take that step. That would take the step. And that today would be the day that you stop running. And today would be the day you stop trying to just get better. Today would be the day that you fully put your trust in Jesus for the first time believe that he is the Savior who died on the cross for your sins. And in him you'd experience his saving grace on your life. For those of us who have 
done that, those who have put our faith in Jesus, I think you need to hear this. You might feel distant from God, but that does not mean that God is distant from you. You might feel distant from God, but that does not mean that God is distant from you. If you're here today and you just feel so overwhelmed, you feel like, man, God must be so fed up with me because I've been so faithless to him. I just can't get it together. Listen, friends, God's not waiting for you to get it together. He's waiting for you to admit that you need him, and he wants to assure you today that you have him. He's with you. He hasn't gone anywhere. If Jesus was willing to endure the cross for you, do you really think he's going to give up on you now? Jesus is God's assurance to us that he is with us and that he'll never let us go. And so when it's just too much, embrace your dependency and rest in God's assurance that God is with you through Christ. And then point number three, take some time to worship. Take some time to worship. Gideon gets this assurance that God's with him. And so now Gideon is finally ready to go to battle. But did you notice what he did first? Before getting the people together and organizing them to go into battle, it says in verse 15, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. Gideon worshipped before he went to war. Because God wants worshipping warriors. Listen, God's not asking us to just go out and fight the good fight of faith. No, he wants us praising him as we do so. See, God's not just looking for our duty. He's not just looking for us to do the right thing. No, he wants to be our delight. He wants us to be glad as we follow what he says. He wants us to be happy as we rejoice in who he is. He's not just looking for right behavior. God wants us to have worshipful hearts. Because it's our worship to God that honors God for how great he truly is. If we're just doing our duty, just trying to do the right thing, that might show that we fear God, we're scared of him. That might show that we believe God's powerful, and so if we don't, he's going to get us. But that doesn't honor God for the greatness and beauty of who he is and his love in Jesus. But when we follow God, not because we're scared and feeling coerced to, not because we feel like we have to, no, we follow God because we want to, when we follow God because we are worshiping God, we are joyful, we're like, man, Lord, I want to do this because I love you. We're showing how great and glorious he truly is. And so when we worship God, friends, what happens when we start worshiping the Lord, especially when we're feeling overwhelmed, when we start worshiping the Lord, especially when we feel like overwhelmed, man, that's part of how God starts to change our hearts. It's part of how God starts to reorient our outlook. Because when we're worshiping God, what are we doing? We're focusing on him instead of focusing on what's troubling us. It's not that we've turned a blind eye to what's troubling us. Gideon's still at a battle. He had to go fight. What helped him get into battle was worshiping the God who was with him in the battle and who had promised him victory. God's word says in Isaiah 63 that part of how he strengthens us is he gives us a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. There's a famous quote by a man named George Mueller. If you don't know who George Mueller is, he was a follower of Jesus who lived in the early 1800s. During that time, England was having a major crisis in their orphan care system. They had more orphans than they had beds. In the entire country, they only had about 3,600 beds for these orphans. 
There's far more orphans than that. So actually what ended up happening is most of these orphans were being housed in prisons alongside hardened criminals. What a tragic situation for children to be raised. George Mueller felt that God had placed a call in his life to step into this tragedy and do something about it. It was certainly an overwhelming task. But he stepped out in faith and ended up leading a movement that is estimated to have cared for about 100,000 orphans during his lifetime and changed how England deals with their orphan situation since. George Mueller knew that each and every day he faced many troubles. George Mueller knew that each and every day he, he woke up to an impossible and an overwhelming task. I can't imagine trying to care for tens of thousands of children. George Mueller knew that this day was going to be too much for him. And so what he did is he said before he left his room in the morning, he said he would not leave his room until through scripture and through prayer, his soul had been made happy in God. See, George Mueller was sustained in his war for these orphans through the time he spent in worship before the Lord. And I just have to wonder if there are some here that maybe the reason you are not seeing the spiritual progress that you want to see in your life, it's not for your lack of effort, it's for your lack of worship. It's not that you're not trying, but before we do what God wants us to do, we need to spend some time worshiping God for who He is. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? It's not that we obey, it's that we love. No, we love, and so we obey. Obeying Jesus just come is the natural overflow of loving Jesus. Right? When we love Jesus, we won't feel like we have to obey Jesus. No, we'll just naturally want to do so. And so we don't start with what we have to. No, we start with, with seeing and savoring and rejoicing in the great love of Jesus for us. For it is his love that stirs our love for him. And in his love for him, it is a worshiping heart that leads us to then battle and fight the good fight of faith. And knowing this love of Christ, being filled with this love of Christ, is not something that God tells us to just drum up in ourselves. No, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 tells us that for this we need the Holy Spirit. Because Paul prays to the church in Ephesus that they be strengthened by the Holy Spirit to know the love of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who strengthens us, not just to know about, not just to have an intellectual understanding, but to know deep in our souls, to know in the depths of our hearts, to know with an affection and a love and a fire the great love of Jesus. And so as Gideon thought about what God had done for him to assure him that God was with him, Gideon worshiped. Friends, for us who have seen all that God has done for us in Jesus, for us who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, how much more we have to worship worship God for. Man, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but when I think about who I was before Christ and what God has now done in my life through Christ, when I think about how I'd been lost in my pride, when I think about how my heart had been dead in self-centeredness, think the world revolved around me, how I was hard-hearted and happily running my way to hell. And if it had not been for the Lord, I would have been left on that journey. But God in his grace interrupted my life and got a hold of me. Friends, can you remember when God interrupted your life and got a hold of you? Can you remember what it was like to be lost 
without him. I mean, I don't know what you're thinking right now, but when I think about the Lord and how he saved me, how he raised me, how he lifted me up and turned me around and set my feet on solid ground, then I don't know about you, but I just have to shout, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you are worthy of all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. Friends, when life feels like it's just too much, we need to embrace our dependency. We need to rest in God's assurance. And we need to take some time to worship. And just as a pastor for you, I just, I just want you to hear my heart in this. There is nothing that I want more for you than to know what it means to worship Him. I think there's so many Christians who settle for a life where you're just trying to do the right thing. You're just trying to do the right Christian thing. Friends, I don't want you to settle for that. There's nothing I want more for you than to be captured by the greatness and glory of God revealed in Christ and shown to us by His Holy Spirit. Worship won't change what you go through, but it will absolutely change how you go through it. And so when we're feeling overwhelmed, we need to embrace our dependency. We need to rest in God's assurance. We take some time to worship. And then fourth and final point, do what you can as we trust God to do what he's promised. You need to do what you can as we trust God to do what he's promised. Gideon at this point is finally in a place of trusting God that God's going to work out a victory, but he doesn't just sit around and wait for God to wipe out his enemies. He does not do what so often gets preached in America. He does not just let go and let God. He doesn't sit there sipping a latte, just expecting God to work things out as he's being lazy. No, Gideon comes up with a strategy about how to use the limited resources he had to do what God told him to do. Did you notice, God didn't tell Gideon to do the whole lamp thing. That, that was Gideon's idea. And it was a good idea. Here's what's going on. Holding out a lamp and letting out a batter cry was usually the action of one individual, known as the, the signal caller. What the signal caller would do is he'd be one man who'd be leading a unit full of hundreds, if not thousands of other men, and he'd say, hey, when I cry and when I shine the lamp, then we're all going to rush forward into battle. It's a way of calling people into battle. And so what Gideon's doing is he's trying to trick the Midianites into believing that instead of there being only 300 people, He's trying to trick them into believing that each of these 300 people represented a unit that had thousands of people in it. And notice, he also does this at an opportune time. He, he says that he goes and, and says, I want you to shout out when? When the watch has just changed. And so here's what's going on. An army would be, generally be divided up into, into two different watches. So you'd have an early watch and a late watch. And so the people who are doing the early watch, they'd be like watching out for enemies. The people who are doing the late watch would be sleeping. And then at some point in the middle of the night, when it's dark out, they would change the watch. And so it's right as this watch is changing, right as these people are coming back in and they're tired and ready to go to sleep, and right as these people are waking up and they're still groggy and probably not still fully awake, it's at this moment that Gideon's army shouts out, they look around, they feel like they're surrounded, and these people here who, who are walking, they're walking towards each other in the dark, they can't see each other that well, all they can see is that there's armed men coming towards me, they're all kind of half asleep, they hear shouts going around, so what do they do? They start fighting each other. And this whole army's torn apart 
by friendly fire. This army that was too much for Gideon to fight ends up fighting against one another and killing each other and then fleeing. God had won the victory. God had done what he promised to do. But notice, God did his work through Gideon's work. God did his work through Gideon's work. Gideon did what he could, even though it was just such a little thing. He's just like lighting a you know, candle and letting out a shout. Pretty little, pretty little effort. But he, that's all he could do. He didn't have more resources to draw upon. But Gideon didn't wait for more. He did what he could do in the limited resources he had. And that's what God used to do what he had promised. Here's what we need to see. Trusting God to bring victory should never lead to our passivity. Trusting God to bring the victory should never lead to our passivity. No, we are to do what we can in obedience to God with the limited resources that we have and trust that through that, God's going to do what he promised. Right? God's won the victory for us in Christ. He's won the victory over sin and over Satan and over death. None of them can defeat us. And so when things are overwhelming to us, we don't need to wait for more. We don't need to shrink back from what God's calling us into. No, we can step forward and we can do with our little, no matter how little it feels, we can do with our little, trusting that God through that is going to bring much. We step forward not thinking that we have enough. We step forward trusting that God is enough. I mean, as I think about this, I think about the little group of people, 27 brave adults who came over to start this church nine years ago, following an inexperienced 28-year-old pastor who had no business planning a church. And if you're new here, I'm not throwing shade on anybody. I'm talking about myself. And yet these people came over with limited resources. We did not have much. They did not have much came over with a big dream of what God could do. Some of them even actually started to live on less. I mean, we're leaving, we're leaving the, you know, New Jersey where houses are about double the size of what they are in here. We actually had lawns back then, right? And, and they started living on less, believing that through that, God could do more. And this is what happened the first year of our church plant. Uh, me, I had the worst flare of my Crohn's disease I've ever had. Uh, cumulatively, I was in the hospital for about two months, almost died, had to have extensive surgery. Uh, this building uh, that we had, uh, you know, it was nothing this year, there was no electricity, no plumbing, nothing. We had to totally renovate it. We had barely scraped enough money to do that. Um, and then a week after signing the lease and start the renovation, renovations, there was a building demolition in Center City that was done illegally and killed a bunch of people, sadly. The city shut down all construction for about a month bunch of people in licensing and inspections went to jail. When it got fired up again, they had changed all the regulations. And now, because of that, our timeline of what we had to do got expanded because we had to do a lot more than we were originally expecting. So our timeline to get the work done tripled and our budget doubled. And so this church, here, here's the resources that we had to start with. No pastor and no place to meet. And yet these people kept showing up. Steve Gregory kept showing up. McGitzes kept showing up. Cato's kept showing up. Slinglands kept showing up. Newman's kept showing up. Believing that God could do with our little. Much. Friends, we're a church that's a living testimony. 
that we're just, we, God just wants us to do what we can. <laughs> Trusting that he will do what he has promised. God is so much of a God that he knows how to take our little and do with it far more than we could ever imagine. And so as we come to a close, I'm sorry, I missed the Donahue's. The Donahue's kept showing up. I miss you in the back. If there's anyone else I missed, I love you. I know who you are. I just can't see everyone from up here. As we come to a close, I want to take you back to where we started and want you to think again or look down if you wrote it down. What is that thing that you feel like God wants you to do that just feels like it's too much? What is it that just makes you think it's too much? With whatever that is, here's how I want to encourage you. It is too much. Embrace your dependency. Confess to God right now what it is that you think you need more of and are looking to for strength instead of him. Second, rest in God's assurance. Right now, as you look at that, think about Christ. Think about all that he's done for you to assure you that God is with you. And then three, take some time to worship. Ask God to fill you with the Spirit to be moved by His love in Christ. We're going to sing some songs in a moment. Friends, this is an opportunity to give God some praise. This is an opportunity to have our hearts gladdened in the Lord. Let's take some time to worship. And then do what you can. Do what you can. What is one thing you can do today to move forward in whatever that area is? What's one thing you can do today to move forward in whatever it is? Friend, do what you can and trust that God's going to do what he's promised. Because he never calls you into a battle that he has not already won. And he who holds together all things can bear each care that you bring to him. And so friends, whatever that thing is that you feel like he's calling you into, I want you to take that and to lay it all on Jesus. He is the all-powerful God who meets us in our overwhelming lives. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer.